Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Today, I want you to turn there in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and as I begin to think about what I wanted to preach today, today being a Christmas message, but... I want to emphasize something that's very important to me. And if any of you have been around me very much or you've heard me teach very much, you know that that one of the things that matters to me so very, very much is to live a life of faith. Not only a life of faith that gets us into a relationship with God, but a life of faith that we live in and through and during that relationship with God all the days of our life. I believe it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I believe in God's word says that whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. And I believe that we're supposed to constantly be challenged in this area of faith. How do we walk in faith? One aspect of the faith faith walk is the fact that we could come to understand what God's word teaches us regarding need and provision. All right, just write that down. What does God's word teach us regarding needs in life and the provision that God has? And I promise you, if you will come to understand the principles laid out in God's word regarding need and provision, it will liberate your soul. It will be a ministry to your heart all the days of your life. It will radically change how you approach the throne of God in prayer. It will change how you see the circumstances and situations that come in and through your life. If you can come to understand this principle of need and provision. Need and provision. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about it in relationship to the Christmas story. I want us to see that the Christmas story reveals this principle and illustrates this principle we're going to be talking about in regard to need and provision. So what are we talking about when we say that need and provision? Well, first of all, let me give you man's viewpoint when it comes to need and provision. All right? Here's man's viewpoint. This is how everybody out there is going to see this aspect of need and then provision. The first thing that happens is a need arises in your life, okay? That's, that's the first, that's where it starts. Is right there in your life, a need is going to arise, raise itself up in your life. Now, that happens to us every day, doesn't it? Absolutely. We all have needs. We all have different needs. They're going to be in different forms, different shapes. But as we live in this life, we're going to have times of need. Those can be financial needs. Those can be relational needs. Those can be emotional needs. Those can be physical needs. They can be all kinds. But, but the reality of it is, as we live in this world, we are going to have needs. And man's viewpoint is that the first thing in that list is a need arises. Okay, a need arises. Well, then what happens next? What happens next is then I ask God, okay? I go to God and I say to God, God, 
I have this need. And I'm asking you to meet that need. That's the second. From man's viewpoint, that's what happened. The need arises. And the next thing is, I go to God and I say to God, now God, I know you probably aren't aware of this. I know you're probably busy up there on your throne. And I know that you're probably not focusing on what's happening. But in case you're not aware, I want to make you aware of this need that I have. And we go to God and we pray and and let him know what the need we have. Because what we're wanting is we're wanting the third thing to take place. And what is the third thing? That God would will that he would move in the realm of heaven to meet our needs. That he'd do whatever he had to do in heaven or on earth. He'd move wherever he did. He'd, he'd shake heaven and earth here or there to do anything he could do to meet that need. Whether it be my physical need, whether it be my financial need, whether it's my emotional need, my relational need, whatever that need is. I'm asking God, I'm, I'm laying it before God. And now God, in his goodness and his grace, he's going he's gonna to meet my need. That, that's man's view. That's how everybody sees it. Isn't that the way most people live life? They have a need. And then they, they come here and say, God, I want you to meet that need. And hopefully God will show up. He may or he may not. But hopefully God will show up. Well, what's the biblical view? Do you think it's more important to have a Man's view or, or biblical view? The biblical view. That's right, okay. So, so what, what is the biblical view of this? What does the Bible say is how need and provision works? Does need and provision work that way? That, that need rises and then we ask God and make God aware of our need and then ask God to move and to do whatever he needs to do to meet our need? Is that, is that the way the Bible presents it? No, not at all. Not at all. You know what the Bible says? This is what the Bible says. Number one thing, that God has met every need and provided every provision before you will ever need it. You need to write that down, okay? That's the biblical view. The biblical view is that God has already provided everything you need. His provision is adequate and already in place before you will ever realize that you have a need. Okay? There's not one place in the, in, in the Bible you'll ever find that not to be true. For instance, God didn't say to the fish, fish, y'all flop around here till I create water. Did he do that? No. Did, did he tell man... He created man and said, now y'all hold your breath till I create atmosphere and oxygen. Did God do that? Did you read that in your Bible anywhere? Uh, I mean, maybe evolution thinks that, but that's not what the Bible says, right? Anytime and every time there is a need, God has already given the provision before there is a need. You realize that? Even when it comes to salvation, God provided a Savior before there was ever a need for a Savior. For he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Do you realize that means before God ever created this world, 
a world in which he created, a world in which sin entered in and marred the world and needed to be saved from it. Before any of that ever happened, Jesus was already the sacrifice. The sacrifice was available before the Savior, the sin was ever committed or the Savior was ever needed. Because why? Because God always gives provision before there's a need. That's the biblical view. Second part of that is this. God allows you and me to experience need. Okay? He, he, he literally creates that need in our life. He doesn't create the need so that he will have opportunity to make provision He creates the need in our life so that we will move into his provision. See, whenever a need rises up in your life, what faith says is this, God, I know that if a need is in my life, I know provision's already there. Because that's the way you work, God. You always provide before there's ever a need. And when a need arises in my life, the provision is already there. It's already, you've already provided. So I've just got to find it. I've just got to find it. And the third biblical point of that biblical view is this, that God, he gives provision before there's ever a need. He allows the need to rise up in your life. And the third thing is, is you just claim because of the fact of God's promises, you claim that God, listen, That God has already given you provision even though you can't see it. You you can't see it with your eyes, but you claim it in faith. That's what faith's all about. So that that provision becomes available to you. That provision is there for you. Now, how is it that we know that that's the way God functions? Because all through God's word, he teaches that. For, for instance, it, just write these, these verses down. In, in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 8, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So in other words, it's not that we tell God we've got a need, and now God begins to work on building provision. He knew we had a need before we ever knew we had a need. He he knows we have a need before we would ever say we have a need. That's the God that we serve. And it's the God who provides for that need before it's ever needed. And then over here in Matthew chapter 7, it says about God, it says about Jesus, this is what Jesus says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In other words, the heart of our God is not to withhold things. The heart of our God is what? To give things. To bless. He he doesn't just give it because we ask. He gives it because he wants to. He desires to do that. So when it comes to provision, God already has provision in place before there's ever a need, but the need arises. And when the need arises, faith says God is going to and has already provided for what I need. And you get to praise God and thank God for his provision. And faith says, I'm believing what he said he would do that he'll do. 
And then you watch God move and watch God work. Okay, you got that in your mind? You see the two views, you see man's view, and then you see the biblical view of provision and need. Well, let's look at the Christmas story. Oh, you're very familiar with the Christmas story, but but I want you to look at the Christmas story in relationship to these principles of need and provision. There in Luke chapter 2, we all know that what happened was that this governor decided and Caesar decided that they needed to have a census. Now, the reason they were having that census is because they wanted to find out who was there and who was still living in order they could tax them more and more. All right, that's what was happening. Well, we know that Joseph and Mary were betrothed to one another and that she was with child. She wasn't just with child. She was a long way with child. Nobody had to wonder whether or not she was pregnant. (laughs) You know, nobody had to guess about that. She's far along. And they are going to travel. And if you've ever been to to Israel, I encourage you, if this pandemic ever gets over and we can go back to Israel, go when you can, all right? It'll open up the Word of God to you. But, but they travel from Nazareth, which is in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Judea in that area. They've got to travel down to Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem. That's a long trek. They did not jump in their Mercedes Benz. They did not jump in their Learjet or even a bus. They walked. They walked, or some people said they rode a donkey. I, I don't. I never figured out exactly where they rode the donkey or where they got that donkey riding from. I, but, but they what, whatever. It wasn't an easy trip for a pregnant woman. Amen. And then whenever they get to town, to the city of Bethlehem, who is there? Everybody, because they all had to what? Come in there for the census. And when we read this story, we read this story in this way. Listen to what it says in verse number 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We, We all know about that story, right? There was no room for them in the end. But hold on a second. That that is totally opposite of how that story needs to be read. It, it It wasn't that there was no room in the end. The key to this is that there was room in the stable. There was room in the stable. And he was born in a stable... And he was laid in a manger, a cow trough, a cow or donkey trough. He was born in a stable. There was room for them in the stable. And his crib was a manger. Why is that important? Because, listen, God provided for him. There was a place for him. You're not to feel sorry for him because there was no room in the inn. What you're to realize is that God, his father, provided a place for him. Now, let me show you how neat that is. 
In our culture, wood is, is very prevalent. There are trees everywhere, right? I mean, if you want wood, I'll just go cut a tree down. There are pine trees. We got wood everywhere. But if you go to Israel and to that part of the world, you find out very quickly that wood is not prevalent. They don't have a lot of trees. They don't have a lot of trees. You know what they have a lot of? Rocks. Don't they? Anybody ever been there? They got rocks everywhere. Out in pastures where cows are, are, are eating, they are just rocks everywhere around. You just think, man, this is the rockiest place. God likes rocks. You know that? Well, that's the promised land. <laughs> that was the promised land where the children of Israel made especially for them. He likes rocks because they're everywhere. You know what you find out? That a stable is not what we typically think of a stable, like a barn where it's built with a stable in it. But what a stable was, was a hewed out rock. They would go out there and they'd hew out this rock and they'd make it into a cave and they'd find that cave and that's where the stable would be. And whenever they had that stable that was hewed out, it was just a cave where they would take the animals in there, protect them from the weather. But not only that, when it came to feeding those animals, when it came to feeding those animals in the trough or the manger, this is typically, this is typically what we see right here, right here. Now, all of you have one of those at your house? <laughs> you have one that's outside, so for Christmas, they see we got the baby in the manger. That's not what the manger looked like. They weren't made of wood. They were made of stone. They'd take a stone and they'd just hew out that stone, a place indented in it. It'd be smoothed out, and that's where they would place the feed for the animals. Because why? Because they had lots of rocks. They didn't have much wood. The manger didn't look like this. It looked like a hewed out rock. Now, let me tell you something. It takes a while to hew out a stable. It takes a while to hew out a stone to make a trough. But do you realize that God had each of those things made? The guy who was making that stable and digging out that cave had no idea what he was doing and what was taking place. And the one who made out that trough and that manger had no idea who would be laying there, but God did. And the reality of this is that God knew that whenever Joseph and Mary were going to be called to Bethlehem for it to be a time of the census when there's going to be all kinds of people there that his baby is going to be born at that time and needed a place and God provided the place the stable and the manger he provided that place for them well that's not exactly kind of the way I would have provided it well that's not up to you is it? It's not up to you and me about how it's going to be provided. God's in charge of that provision, but I'll tell you something. God had already worked out all those details. He already had it all in place so that his baby had a place to be laid. God does the same thing for us, amen? <laughs> he has provision before there's ever the need. Here's the second thing, though, that happens in there. You know, you know, whenever they had to go to Bethlehem, when the baby was born, there was no family or friends around. You know, a birth of a baby is a great celebration, isn't it? 
I mean, even in our culture, everybody wants to come, the family comes by, and the friends come by, and there's a celebration, they bring gifts, and it's just a wonderful thing because here's a new life coming into this world. But they've had to travel to Bethlehem, and there's no family, no friends, nobody knows. They've had to go there, and they're missing out on all of that. But hold on a second. God knew that his son would be born in Bethlehem. He had already foretold that. He'd be born in Bethlehem. And he knew when it would be and how it would happen. So he has a way to make up for that. What did he do? Well, in verse 8, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. The angel said, I'm bringing you good news of great joy, which is for all people today in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they heard the angels sing glory to God in the highest. And when the angels departed, what did they do? They got up and they went. God wasn't going to let his son be born without somebody to celebrate it. So he goes and gets shepherds in the fields to come and to go and to celebrate his birth. They go and find the babe and find his mother, and they're celebrating. They're worshiping God. They're celebrating the birth of this baby. But not only are they celebrating like most of us would, the birth of a new child, a new addition of family, they had stories to tell, didn't they? What a story. Do you know why we're here? Do you know why we know this baby is born? Because an angel came and announced that to us. And we saw the angels singing in glory. And we saw the power of God, the presence of God. And told us that we're to come and find this baby. It says they shared that with Mary and with Joseph. They shared that. And whenever they had worshipped and they had honored this baby, they go away and they can't stop telling for the rest of their lives about the night when this baby was born. God knew that Joseph and Mary were going to be away. He knew family and friends couldn't be there. But he provided the means before the baby was ever born for him to have the family and friends and to be honored and worshiped just like any other baby. Any other baby. Well, we know the story of Christmas story continues in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, the continuation of the Christmas story is when the three magi come from the east. They come. And they're coming to honor the king of the Jews. But what is the real reason that they come? Well, they're coming to honor the, the king of the Jews. They've seen his star. They've traveled some distance. Uh, he's not, it's not the night of his birth, but it's sometime after his birth that they've finally gotten there because they've seen his star. They followed his star. And they come and they ask Herod, Herod, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod doesn't know what I'm talking about and have to ask the wise men. They say it's going to be in Bethlehem. And they go to Bethlehem and the star goes before them and they find that child. And here are these well-dressed men from the east, wealthy as can be. And they come and they bow down before this child, this king of the Jews. And everybody knows in that story, we got it displayed right here. 
Everybody knows in that story they did they brought what? They brought what? They brought gifts. That's right. Gifts. I I, I bet you can see it without say it without looking in your Bible. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, hold on a second. Why'd they bring that? Why'd they bring that? There's a lot of symbolism. This this one's the king and one's her priest and one's he's going to die. Let me tell you the practical reason that they brought that. The practical reason is it is provision and resources that Joseph, Mary, and that baby are going to need. You understand? I mean, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that was a lot of wealth. A lot of money. And they don't realize at that point in time, but they're going to need a lot of money. You know why? Because they're about to take a trip. An unexpected trip. You know where they have to go to? They're having to go to Egypt. They're going to have to go to Egypt in order to what? Protect the child. Because old King Herod's going to get angry whenever those wise men don't come back to tell him what happened. And he's going to send and have all the children in that region, two years of age and under, have them killed to try to take away this one who was the king of the Jews. Now, in a moment's time, Joseph is going to have to pick up his family and go to a foreign country and not just go there for a day, they're going to go there and live until Herod dies and it's safe enough to come back. Could I ask you a question? What have you got to notice today that said you're about to leave tomorrow or tonight and you're going to go to a foreign country and you're going to be living there a while? Do you think you might need some resources? You think you might need some money? Well, Joseph wouldn't have been a bit different, except he lived in a different time than what we live in. You know what I mean by a different time we live in? How many of you have a credit card? Don't hold up your hand. Just How many of you have a credit card? Isn't it amazing what credit cards will do for us other than get us in trouble because we get in debt? But, but, but you know what a credit card can do? If you don't have the money to go pay for something today... You can take your credit card and pay for it hopefully next month or later, right? You can buy a ticket. You could pay for a meal. You can pay for lodging. You can do all those things with a credit card. Let me, let me explain something about biblical times. They didn't have credit cards. They didn't have credit cards. Some of you, I saw gasp about that. You thought credit cards were invented in the Garden of Eden. I thought they've always been here. No, didn't have a credit card. Do you know what they would have to have? They would have to have resources to be able to make that trip and to live in Egypt for that period of time. And God brought those men from the east to provide the resources that they could sell that they could have all they needed. Why? Because God always gives provision before there's a need. 
One final thing. He's going to need to be protected and it's going to be need to be quick. So what does God do? There in Matthew chapter 1, verse 13, listen to what it says. This is right after, right after the wise men leave. It says, now when they had departed, those wise men left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. He's going to what? He's going to search for him to destroy him. When's he going to do that? He's going to do that tomorrow. He's sending his army tomorrow to find this baby and kill this baby. Wait a minute. God always provides before there's a need. He always provides for there's a need. So he comes and tells Joseph what? Joseph, get up and take the mother and the baby and go to Egypt. You go to Egypt because tomorrow is a deadly day. Well, what is it? God always provides before there's ever a need. So that you can be assured that when you ask, his provision is ever sufficient. And you say, well, why, what does that say to us? It says everything to us. The same God who watches over the Christmas story, the same God who cares for Joseph and Mary, the same God who provides for his son, that same God is the same God who is our God. He is that God who provided for us a Savior. Listen to me now. He provided for us a Savior, His Son, Jesus, before we were ever born. He he provided for us a sacrifice for sin before we ever sinned. He sent the one here to this earth who would make us whole and adopt us into the family and make us acceptable before our parents, our grandparents, or anybody had ever thought of us or that we were the twinkle in their eye. Because he always provides before there's ever a need. And he he knew that you were going to be born. And he knew that you were going to be a sinner. And he knew that you were going to need a Savior. And he sent Jesus to be our Savior. To be our Lord. And, And it wasn't plan B. It wasn't second thought. It was always laid out because that's the way God does it. But another thing, he does that for us in our own individual lives spiritually. As Christians. God didn't just save you to leave you here and to hope you survive till you get to heaven one day. The same God who provides for you a Savior is a God who has provided for you for everything you need. And whenever you have a need arises up in your heart and life, faith says, God... I believe, 
I believe you already had the provision before I ever had the need. So, Lord, I thank you right now that you've got provision. I'm, I'm waiting for you to show it to me. I'm right, waiting for you to reveal it to me. But I believe that you've already given the provision of whatever I face, whatever I need. I believe that, and I thank you for your provision. That's what faith is. Thank you for your provision. Because you know what I need before I ever need it. Because you love me and care for me and will give to me. Thank you. Thank you. Let me, let me share something with you very briefly. We're finished. If you will get in your heart and your mind and you'll understand the biblical view of need and provision, it will liberate your heart. It'll liberate you. Because all of a sudden, whenever you face a need, you're not having to tell God about it and ask God to create a provision. You're just able to claim that he already has provision. And you're able to say, Lord, I don't see it, but whenever it comes, I'll thank you for it. I'll praise you for it. Because there's nothing in the Word of God you'll ever find that sneaks up on God. He's all-sufficient, all-providing, not just for Mary and Joseph, not for just Jesus, but for you and for me. So if you've never given your heart to Christ, I'm here to tell you it's not because the Savior wasn't sent for you. He's been sent, and he did everything to save you. If you as a child of God are caught up in anxiety because of needs in your life, and you are still wondering why God won't meet it, I'm here to tell you God's already met it. Just trust him. Trust in him and believe in him. Put your faith in him. And begin to thank him for what his provision is that he has given. The Christmas story is glorious. All of us, I hope you're going to read it today or this week or sometime with your family. Read the Christmas story as often as you can. About that glorious gift of that first Christmas. But don't read it as though there's not provision. Read it and see it as provision that was ample and just as the Father desired for His Son, for your Savior. And just as He did it for Him, He'll do it for you. Amen? That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.